message has been just a very interesting time to prepare because it's been a, a concept of Christian freedom that's been on my heart and uh, in my mind and in, in the forefront for many, many weeks. And so versus kind of picking a topic and going through it, it's just something I've actually been able to, to meditate on. And so there's so much in here, I don't know what's going to come out. But um, Pastor Huff has taught me that whatever comes out is what God meant for you to hear. So that's what we're going with today. So there are 10 pages of notes, but that is the full version. Okay, that is the full version versus if you just do the outline, it's more like four or four and a half. Okay, so don't get too scared. But my son said, what was the scripture going to be? I said, well, we're going to go to Galatians 5. And he said, well, what verse? I said, well, the whole chapter. He said, well, I'm prepared for Huff, but not for you. <laughs> I, said, I was like, oh, okay. But uh, we are going to turn. So if you'll turn to Galatians chapter 5 with me, please, and stand. Galatians chapter 5. <laughs> you are. All right, Galatians 5, and we're just going to read chapter 1 for our main verse, but then we're going to continue on with it throughout the day. So, Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, Paul writes, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Let's pray. God, you are absolutely awesome. We all come to your house today just to praise you. And it is just so obvious the hearts here today are here for that purpose. Uh, just to praise you and lift up your name. Uh, we worship you with song. We worship you in spirit. Now we get to worship you with your word. So just pray today that uh, the words that uh, come out of my mouth are what you intend for it to be. And that it can just affect and impact the hearts of everyone here today as we all draw closer to you in this time. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Seated. All right, so freedom um, is a word that you hear everywhere. And, uh, you know, even in our country, right, freedom is the uh, land of the free and the home of the brave. Uh, also, you know, anytime you say free food, right, our ears always perk up, at least mine do, because when you got six mouths to feed, or seven if you count the dog, right, it's, uh, it's a lot. So you hear free food, you're like, I'm in, right? And last week, uh, freedom is in a lot of the songs that we sing. So last week, Jeannie sang, right, Run to the Cross and Be Free, all right? That was in her song. Then we sung uh, Chainbreaker. You know, if you need freedom or saving, he's a prison-shaking Savior. And then the other one we sung was, Lord, I need you. So where you are, Lord, I am free, right? So freedom is in all of those um, songs. It's all around us. But what does freedom look like? And specifically today, what does Christian freedom look like? And so we're going to stay in Galatians 5 on an expository type message, all right? And we're going to walk through it, all right? And we're going to walk through it. For those that weren't here last week, we talked about the difference between a suppository message and an expository message, all right? And so we're going to go right through Galatians chapter 5 and, um, and rock and roll with it. So in your handout or in your bulletin, right, um, when I read Galatians chapter 5, it's like, whew, it's a lot of verses. It's not really. But when I look at it and I study it, it breaks up distinctively to me into four parts. Um, so you've got four lines here, and uh, those are the four parts that we're going to talk about. And um, the first one is the choice of slavery or freedom. Okay? That's the first one, is the choice of slavery or freedom. Feel free to fill in the blanks. Uh, oh, my custom church app. We've got them in there. All right. All right, so the choice of slavery or freedom is the first one. And again, verse 1, freedom, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So in this passage, right, Paul is writing, has set us free. So we're talking to the Galatian church specifically. All right, talking to the Galatian church specifically. And one word that jumps out to me is he says, Do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So that word again takes me, well, what... What, what do they do already? And this church is struggling with um, their past, okay? Their past, they come from a pagan culture, all right? So they were studying and praising Zeus, all right? Th that was one of their kings. Zeus is actually mentioned in the New Testament, right? Um, they were praising Zeus, taking things to Zeus. I'm not really strong on my Greek mythology or Roman mythology, but there's other ones that are mentioned as well. Um, you had Zeus, Hermes, um, Barnabas uh, is actually called Zeus 
in the scripture. And Paul is actually called Hermes. There's Artemis, who is the Greek goddess of um, wildwood, childbirth, fertility. Um, Athena was the virgin goddess connected with the arts and crafts, fertility and war. I'm not sure how you get from arts and crafts to war, but I don't, I don't know. But they did. All right. But the way that these, uh, way that these worked is if you needed something, right? If you're getting ready to go to war, right, then you would go to the god of war and you would offer sacrifices and praises to them to get good favor, right? If you wanted a child, you would go to the goddess of fertility and you would offer and you would praise um, that goddess to get in favor with them, right? And um, that's what they used to know. And that was their form of previous bondage and slavery that they lived in, right? But then they heard the message of Christ and they were set free from that. And it was going well. And we'll talk about running well in just a minute, right? But then we have people that come in to their lives and now they were struggling with Jewish legalism, right? That's what, again, that's the whole point of what Paul is trying to keep them from. They came from a pagan culture, right? And then now the, they're trying to go back to where the Jewish culture of all the rules and regulations of those 600 plus rules that they had to follow to find favor with God. So that's the struggle that they're here. And that's why Paul says, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Okay? All right, so verse 2. Verse 2 states, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be no advantage to you. So circumcision here is specifically referencing just to the law, right? All of those 600 rules and regulations, that's what Paul is mentioning here in chapter in Excuse me, in verse 2, right? So I like the way he says, look, right? Anytime you got to look for those little words, he says, look, pay attention, right? Chris, yep, he's, there. he's here, he's there, right? And uh, say, look, pay attention to that, okay? And so it's going to be important, right? It's like Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you several times, right? This is going to be important. And it says, if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. One word that jumps out at me is the word accept. Do you see that word accept there? These people, the Galatian church, was not being forced into slavery or forced into bondage. They had a choice to make. Were they going to accept it or not? And I think that's kind of a key point here because they weren't being forced, they were accepting. And in our lives, in our walk, we accept things to become bondage too. Pick on Sister Sally. She's got a phone in her hand. Are we bondage to our phones, to our TV, to our lifestyle? You're using it. Very good context. Don't take that all in. Right? But are, are we in bondage to those things? Do we accept to leave it? By the way, I'm down another 17% this week. I saw on my uh, iPhone app. So my usage is going down, so that's good. All right? and, uh, but what are we in bondage to? Right? Is it a busy schedule? Is it your phone that I mentioned? Is it TV? What is it? Right, there's something in your life, right? If you cannot stop doing something, you know, I picked on coffee and Huff got on me last week, right? Or a couple weeks ago, picked on coffee. If you can't stop doing something, then you're addicted to it. You're in bondage, no matter what it might be. It not, might not be drugs or alcohol or whatever, right? But it's something in our lives that is keeping us in bondage if we can't stop it. All right, let's keep going. Verses three, and, 3 through 6. I testify again, so this is Paul, I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the law, keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You would be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For through the Spirit by faith we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. All right, so in this passage, we have a list. And it's not a very good list. All right? And um, Ryan, you can go ahead and throw it up here. Right? Paul gives us a list of the negative things that happen to us when we accept the law or bondage. Okay? So this is not eloquently written. Sorry, baby. Sorry. Written 
She gets on me. I took a spelling test yesterday. I did place above my son, so that was good. But I still have some work to go. Right? This homeschooling stuff is awesome. But um, <laughs> Roten, I'm going to, that won't be it. That, yeah, that'll be a good one. All right. I wrote these on this table. It's not eloquently written out, but there we go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But if you accept the law, moving on, <laughs> if we accept the law, right, then we have these things, right? We're, we're obligated to keep it all. We're obligated to keep it all if we choose it. Is that possible? No, it's not. The Bible tells us that no one can keep all of the laws. If we choose the law, this one hurts. We're severed from Christ. We're severed from Christ. If we accept the law, we cannot be justified in Christ. Right? And the problems with that, you, know, you can't justify your actions. Whenever a child gets in trouble, what's the first thing? But, 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 but. They want to justify their actions. A lot of times the parents want to hear it. No. No. They want you to own up to it. Right? And this is just what, you know, we, we can't do that with our actions here. So if we choose the law, we can't justify ourselves before God. All right? If you choose the law, that means you're falling from grace. That one hurts too. You can tell the football game was on because I said focus on the law. You cannot catch grace. You don't really catch grace. I apologize for that. But the thought here is simply, right, you can't accept grace if you're focused on the law because you'll never see it or understand what grace truly is because you're trying to earn everything that you get. And then the last thing Paul says in this passage about the law is that the law counts for nothing. Nothing. Right? So that tells me if we focus on the law, we're focused on the wrong things altogether. Right? So again, Paul outlines these things in these, just these few verses that this is what the law gets you. I don't want any of that. I don't want any of that. You know? I don't want to have to walk around and try to keep 600 laws every day. I want to be able to ride the elevator on Sunday, right? Because I know that's not coming between me and my Savior. I don't want to be severed. I want to be justified. I definitely don't want to fall from grace. And I want everything I do to count for God and give Him the glory. Okay. So we can live under this law with the physical signs of conformity to it, or we can live through our faith with acts of love which is exactly what Paul challenges us and asks us to do. So which way do you want to live? Okay? All right, and then the second part is chapter 5, verses 7 through 12. And this one is um, in your handout. Who is pulling you away? Who is pulling you away or holding you back? Okay? Who is pulling you away or holding you back? All right, so... We'll jump right into, let's see, verse number 7. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Right, so if you look at it grammatically, this is a rhetorical question, but I think Paul really, really wants people to answer it because he is obviously upset about it, okay? He makes such a strong argument against this person. He shows his passion and his care for the church, not just this specific church, but all churches in general, and it upsets them. Right. You were running well. Pastor Ruff mentioned last week about the race, a marathon. You were running well. Right? Whenever there's a race, you start out, there's a lot of excitement and energy right, at a race. And then you just, the, the bell rings, or not bell rings, but you know that uh, horn blows, gunshot, whatever, um, and, and you take off and you go. In high school, on the track team, I used to run hurdles. Oh boy. I used to run hurdles. Okay? So I remember, right, it was the 200 meter hurdles. Right? And I would, you know, I'd be excited. I'm nervous. Right? I'd blast off. You get through those first two or three hurdles. But halfway through, I was whooped. I was whooped. Right? When you lose your focus, you get tired. Do you really make it over the hurdle? No, no. I didn't make it over the hurdles three times in 200 meters. So that was kind of painful. Sad thing is, I didn't finish last. That guy was really slow. But, you know, you run that race, a lot of energy, but halfway through, you lose that excitement. And just as a sidebar in self-defense, I realized, not self-defense, but um, just to make myself feel a little better, I did realize at the last track meet of the year that my coach missed, missed measured the hurdles in our practice. 
So I was off five feet every hurdle. I'm like, well, no wonder I couldn't get in a rhythm. But whatever. He was a new coach, track coach that year. But oh, I just now I feel better for saying that, letting you know that I fell in hurdles 300, three, three times in 200 meters. But the purpose of all that was it's exciting at the beginning of a race. They were running well, but they lost their momentum, right? And the, uh, the ones that were coming in telling they had to obey all these rules and trying to put them under bondage, right, were tripping them up from the message of Christ and the message of freedom that he, bring, he brought to them. Okay? All right. Then it goes on to say in, chapter, in verse 7 as well, excuse me, verse 8, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. All right? This persuasion, so whoever is persuading them away from the message of Christ, is not from him who calls you. So who, calls, who called them? Jesus Christ called them, right? He called them to this life. He said, I can redeem you. Come choose me. Live in me. There is a freedom in me. But now we have these people that are saying that, no, you have to obey these rules. And that is not the same message. There's definitely a conflict here. And Paul is saying, look, Christ brought you here. This is not what Christ is telling you. Okay? So it's not from him. And then we get into a very familiar phrase. Brother Carl and I talked about this a few weeks ago. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Right? A little leaven leavens the whole lump. It's not as common in our culture today. We go more today with one bad apple spoils the bunch. Right? One bad apple spoils the bunch. Okay? And this simply means, right, that one bad apple will grow. And in the old, and it'll spread, and then the other, it'll grow, not grow in a good sense. It'll grow like moldy stuff, right? We actually did a science experiment, started one yesterday at our house where we took a loaf of bread, a nice loaf of bread, and we had all the kids rub their hands on it, and we put it in a plastic bag, and we taped it to the window. And then we had the kids go wash their hands really good and rub that loaf, another piece of bread, and we put it in the window. So we'll let you know the results of that, right? But in theory, or in hypothesis, right, the one that right, has all the germs and stuff on it is going to sit there and ferment and grow and contaminate it quicker than nice, clean hands would, right? So, but that's what's happening here when you have one bad apple, right? So in Old Testament times, the unleavened, or the leaven, right, is a piece of fermented um, bread that you put in and it makes it rise, right? Because it makes a whole loaf rise. Uh, but any of the uh, breads or sacrifices that were, all, that were given in the Old Testament, they were all unleavened bread because leavened bread was a sign of corruption. Okay? It was a sign of corruption, and so we didn't want to sacrifice that to God on the altar. So those main sacrifices, it stayed away because of its ties with corruption. All right? and, um, and then the New Testament as well, it's used many times. And this expression is actually used by Jesus. So if you'll turn with me to Matthew 16. Turn with me to Matthew 16. Right. So in Matthew 16, the very first part of Matthew 16, uh, the Pharisees and Sadducees are trying to get Jesus. Right. At the very beginning, um, they ask him a question uh, to test him and ask him, to show them a sign of heaven. This is 16 verse 1, right? And he goes and Jesus gives them an answer that only Jesus can give, right? And then so they're satisfied or unsatisfied at the time, right? And then they move on. And then we have this interaction in verse 5, 16 verse 5, Matthew 16 verse 5. It says, When the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring any bread. Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So this is an expression that Jesus used. I like if you read on here that that went right over the disciples' heads. Right? It went right over it. They missed it. Right? They're like, I thought we brought bread. Right? But then Jesus has to explain the phrase to them. Oh, you have little faith. Why are you discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets you gathered? Or the seven loaves or the 4,000 and how many baskets you gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I do not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He repeats it twice. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So what's happening here in this New Testament, um, in this interaction with Jesus, is the same thing that's happening to the Galatian church. Right? Somebody has got in there, somebody has corrupted uh, the message of Christ, 
and we got to get it out. All right? Um, in the book of Luke, also, the book of Luke, we're not going to turn to it, but in Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, that same phrase is used again um, about the leaven. And not the bad apple, but the leaven, right? So I want you to think about in your mind, who's the bad apple in your life? Who's the bad apple in your life? Who's that piece of leaven in your child's life? Right? Because Christ and Paul warns us both about both of those, right? And that we have to guard against the false teachings that are going to come up and tickle our ears and be prevalent in our society. We have to guard ourselves against that. Okay? All right, back to Galatians 5. Back to Galatians 5 and verse 10. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. All right. Does Paul say he has confidence in the Galatian church? Yes or no? What do you think? Does Paul say he has confidence in the Galatian church? Good. Thank you, Caleb. No, he doesn't. Who's his confidence in? The Lord, right? So very yes, that was a trick question. Thank you. You passed the test. You'll get a prize after church. Right? But that's where, you know, Paul wants them to succeed. But he knows he's going to only succeed if he puts his trust in the Lord. And that's a little nugget for us to take, right? We will only succeed in what we endeavor if our trust is in the Lord. But he has confidence in what? That they will take no other view. Right? That he stays focused on Christ and the freedom that he gives us. Right? And we maintain that, um, and we maintain that stature, we maintain that ability to trust God when we do what? When we read his word, when we study his word, when we surround ourselves with accountability, when we surround ourselves with people that we know love God first. That's how we protect ourselves. The other thing I extracted out of this was that the, there is a penalty for leading others astray. And this one hits hard as one that will bring you the message. And it's, you know, but it's not just a message from the pulpit. It's a message that you portray to your coworkers. It's a message that you portray to your friends, right? There is an accountability to make sure that you lead people in the right way. So there is a penalty here in this chapter that Paul is talking to the Galatians. But also in 2 Peter verse 1, he says, But false prophets also arose among you, among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So if you lead others astray, Peter's telling us in his epistle, right, that there will be destruction. And then Matthew records in 1815, Matthew records in 1815 the words of Jesus, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, but whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Right. So there are penalties for us if we lead others astray. And that's what Paul is telling the early church, is that whoever is your leaven, whoever is your bad apple, we've got to get that person out of there so that you can focus on the truth and what you need to focus on for God's righteousness and freedom. Right? So, right, I talked about the bad apple, right? Who is that bad apple? So, of course, we don't want to, you know, you get into big words like excommunicate and, and different things like that. I don't want to dive in, I'm not diving that deep this morning, right? But think about who in your life is, is a bad apple, that their lifestyle doesn't match up. Are you rubbing off on them or are they rubbing off on you? Which way is it, Right? Are you giving them a better taste of God's fruit? Or are they putting a sour taste in your mouth? That's my challenge for you this morning. Not who to kick out of church or, or anything like that, but it's more on a personal level that I challenge you with that. Because you don't want to be the bad apple. Hmm. You ever bitten into a rotten apple? It's nasty. I can eat a bruised banana only so much, 
right? It doesn't, doesn't have any good taste at all, all right? Verse 11, Galatians 5, verse 11. Whoops. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Has been removed. So Paul's message is totally different, right? Paul's message is totally different than what people have heard before because he's preaching salvation through faith in the cross of Christ alone, right? Alone. If he was still preaching the law, remember what Paul's name was before? It was Saul, right? He was the one persecuting. He knew all the rules. He knew all the regulations. He knew every one of them. And he followed them probably the best of anybody that could. He gives his whole testimony of why he was such a good Pharisee, right? So the fact that he is the one that made this dramatic transformation gives his testimony even that much more power, right? That much more power. So there are definitely two schools of thought here. And Paul was saying, look, I know my message is true because I'm still facing that persecution. And it is for that very reason that that just gives the power to the cross even more. Okay. Verse 12, I wish those who, who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. This is a very strong verse, right? And we're not going to dwell on it here. But this is just a harsh, harsh statement that shows how strong Paul's convictions were for the church. We had to keep our thoughts, our minds pure on the message of Christ. All right, in part three. All right, so part three, we have the main event coming up. All right, main event. And it's going to be the faith versus spirit. Faith versus spirit. This verse sounds similar to the very first one, but slightly different. Verse 13. For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Right? So this is the battle that we're facing. We all face this battle of the spirit versus the flesh. Spirit versus the flesh. Right? Um, when we come to Christ, we have the freedom from all those laws and duties that I mentioned that were required in the Old Testament. And now we have the New Testament and the New Covenant that gives us that state of spiritual freedom. Talked about the veil being torn in one of our songs this morning, right? So we are no longer bound by all those Old Testament rules. So then immediately you jump to, all right, Christian freedom, no rules. I like that. Everybody like that? Everybody likes it when there's no rules, right? But just like in a game of basketball on the street, when there's no rules, it gets out of hand pretty quick, right? At least it does at our place, right? There's no rules... It gets out of, out of whack really quick. So there was a, um, like I said, there, there is so much information out there on Christian freedom. That like like Wednesday, Wednesday of this week, I just had to turn it off. I just had to turn it off. Because like I said, for weeks, I've been pulling this in, pulling this in, pulling this in. And it was just like, ah, overload. So let's digest some of that, right, and put it in. So I challenged, I challenged a, a young 12-year-old to, Read Galatians 5 and give me his definition of Christian freedom. Okay? Give me his definition of Christian freedom. And here is his definition. Christian freedom is being able to choose what to do, but not using that ability to do whatever we want to do. And do not use your freedom as an excuse to live in sin and have self-control. So I thought from that perspective, that was really good because there's three components. You can dig as deep into Christian freedom as you want. And it can be two or three hours. We're not going to dig that deep. It could be like three or four months. There's so much information in here in Christian freedom. Right? But that definition has three components for Christian freedom. One, we have the ability to make choices. Every day we can make choices. Two, as Christians we cannot choose to sin with those choices. We cannot obviously choose to sin in those choices. And three, we have to have self-control in our lives. Right? You can get more complex, but those components kind of, I, th I think, encapsulate Christian freedom pretty well. All right, verses 14 and 15. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Selfishness has no place 
in the Christian faith, period. We could stop there, right? Um, but the Pharisees, I call this a really big word on paper, the Pharisaical problem, put that one in Scrabble, um, was that they, you know, they wanted to show off their faith, right? They, they wanted to show off, you know, walk around. They wanted to say their public prayers. You know, they wanted it to be big. And, and, and uh, they just wanted to say, yes, they wanted to look at their spiritual report card, right? Their spiritual report card of check, 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 check. Oh, page two. Check, 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 check. Oh, yep, got that too, right? They wanted to check off their spiritual report card and make it public out there, right? But we, we don't memorize scripture in our lives to show off to our friends that we memorize Scripture. We memorize Scripture so that when we need them, we have them, which draws us closer to God. Then we can use those same Scriptures to bring non-believers or our brothers or sisters that are struggling closer to Christ. Right? We don't memorize Scripture to show off. Right? Um, we don't invite our friends over to our house to show off our house. We invite our friends over to the house to make sure, that, hey, what's going on? How you doing? This is what's going on in our lives. What's going on in your lives? Hey, can we help you? You know, hey, we might need this, right? That's kind of why we invite people. We don't invite people over to show off. It is so easy and so tempting, right, to want to do that in our walk and in our faith. And that is because of the flesh when we're not grounded in the spirit. All right, verse 16. But I say, walk by the spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Alright? You don't have to raise your hands, but who watched Friday Night Smackdown? Not just like, you don't have to watch that. Alright, my dad likes to watch wrestling. Right? And uh, he's watched wrestling for years. Right? But this is the battle. This is the main event. Right? So... And in this corner, we have the flesh. And in this corner, we have the spirit. Right? And then you ring that bell, and then they come together, and they start fighting, and they start clashing. Right? And whenever that bell rings, right, whenever that bell rings, it can get ugly. Right? But every person's battle is going to be different. My struggles are not your struggles. My strengths are not your strengths. My weaknesses are not your weaknesses. And that's one of the main reasons I think we have this awesome body of believers is because if I'm strong in something, I got another brother that's weak in something, and I can help him out, and vice versa, and vice versa, because I have those weaknesses as well. And there's a false perception, um, oh, excuse me, but no matter where you are at on your spiritual journey, whether it's in this corner or that corner, you're always going to have this battle, right? And it's a false perception. Turn with me to John 14. Turn with me to John, turn with me to John 14. So we have talked a lot about, in, in, uh, in Bible study, in Pastor Huff's sermons, we've talked a lot about the false gospel, the American gospel, right? And you can pick and choose, and it's so good in this battle here, for this quick example, to show you how easy it is to pick and choose what you want to hear, all right? So we read in John 14, 6, right? That, excuse me, let's see. That false perception, right, of new believers or non-believers, that once you come to a Christian life, it's all nice and fancy, right? We sit on our little flat clouds. We play our little harps. We ride our little unicorns, right? We slide down rainbows, right? That, that's the false perception. And um, John 14, 6 says this. John 14, 6 says... Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I want that life. Don't you want that life? I want the life. I don't want a life. I want the life. The problem is our culture defines the life today. It screams louder. The culture screams louder and defines what the life is. Oh, I like that verse. I want that life. I want that life. All right. And then, oh, wait, wait. Let's go down. John 14, 14. Let's go down to John 14, 14. Same book's got to be consistent, right? If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Oh, God, thank you so much. I want to ride to heaven. I want the Ferrari. I want the Big Mac. I want the side of fries. And I want the extra large cone. Amen. Yeah, amen. I figured I might get one of those, right? But when you read that scripture like that, people pick and choose that. And they miss, they miss 
John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, as in Christ, will also do the works that I do. They failed to read John 14, 15. John 14, 15. If you love me, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You've got to see it all. You cannot cherry pick the message. But it's so easy, even in our lives, for that false gospel to creep in. Christ calls us to love one another. And we should love one another. It's still a phrase from a great friend. And it's a common one. Not for my glory, but for His glory, right? Everything we do is for God's glory. We don't volunteer at ministries and, you know, build up that spiritual resume and say, hey, look what I did. We volunteer at ministries to make an impact on people. We volunteer at ministries just to say, hey, this is how awesome my God is. You look like you might need to meet Him. You wouldn't say it like that, but, right? Here's the impact He's had on my life. Let's get to know him a little bit better. All right? All right, here's a phrase that no one wants to hear, but I get the luxury of saying it. You might want to write this one down. It's that revelation. Christian freedom comes through self-discipline. Nobody likes to hear that. Christian freedom comes through self-discipline. I'm going to prove it to you in a minute. But Christian freedom comes through self-discipline. Self-discipline is plastered all over the Bible. Last week, Pastor Huff had a great message out of Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, if you could turn with me there to Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to look at 12 verse 11. Hebrews 12 verse 11. It says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those that have been trained by it. Those that have been trained by it. Right? And there's several others. Right? Unfortunately, I had so many volunteers at the exact same time. Proverbs 22.6. Who has Proverbs 22.6? Mary. So we have training. Proverbs 15.23. Who's got Proverbs 15.23? Brenda. All right, so that's self-discipline. I'm going to get smarter. I'm going to grow closer to Christ and what the true message actually is. 1 Corinthians 9.25. So athletes, they all have self-control to get to where they want to be, to be at the top of their game, right? But we have something much more greater that lasts for eternity, right? That's our prize in eternity. So how much harder should we train? And then Psalms 141.3. All right, put that one in there on purpose, because that one's hard, because we all want to open our mouth, right? We all want to open our mouth. That takes self-control. That takes discipline. All right, and then 1 Timothy 4, 7. If everyone could turn to 1 Timothy 4, 7. This kind of aligns all these verses together. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise of the present life and also for the life to come. So that self-discipline helps in two places. It helps in the promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The life to come. All right? So Christian, Christian freedom comes through self-discipline. Kevin, this is still crazy. You haven't convinced me with Scripture. Two quick examples. Joah. Yeah. 
Two examples. So Joe is going to play. Very good. Christian freedom requires self-discipline. Did Joe or Pastor Huff go up to that piano and say, oh wait, here's my little note, here's what I got to play? Right? No, they practice and they practice and they practice and they practice. They had self-discipline, 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 self-discipline. How awesome was it to listen to their music, watch their fingers, go over those keyboards with ease, right? With ease. How awesome would it be just to recall Scripture at the drop of a hat when you need it? How awesome would it be just to say, oh, I need your help. Sure, I'm there. I'm not worried about what i got to do, right? Christian freedom requires self-discipline. Thank you, guys. Verse 19, Galatians 5, verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. I said it all in one breath. That list is long. And Paul says that the battle is between the flesh and the spirit. The flesh and the spirit. So these are the works of the flesh. So jealousy. You ever been jealous of what somebody had? Fits of anger. Ever had one of those? If not hourly, inwardly. Typically, the older we get, the more internal those are. Rivalries. Rivalries. Are you in intense competition with someone at work when you really don't need to be because you're all on the same team? Drunkenness, you've been there. Impurity, done that. And things like these. That was a very long list, but and things like these. right? And things like these. So it doesn't end there. 
Verse 21, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Right, so Paul is warning the church here and he warns us today of the types of sins that will not inherit the kingdom of God, will keep us from inheriting this um, kingdom of God. And just this uh, last uh, two nights ago, I, I was talking to a brother and we were talking about people that knowingly live in sin. Right? The people that knowingly live in sin, but then they take that sin and they identify it with themselves and they think that it's okay. And they claim to be a Christian even though they're living in, in a life of sin and they know it. Right? And he said, like it's written, all people will sin. All people will live in sin. But when people embrace that sin is when it amplifies the problem. When they embrace it, it amplifies the problem because they see that sin as a part of themselves and they can't break away from it. Right? Whatever your sin is today, you can break away from that bondage and it can happen in one of two ways. One way, you ask God to free you from it. And sometimes, just like healing, it happens just like that. So think about what you need to ask God for today to break the bondage in your life. The second way starts the same way. You ask Him, but then that word comes back about self-discipline, self-control. So if you're struggling with something, right, you have to ask. You cannot do it on your own. You have to ask God to help you with it, right? And so... That magazine you know you shouldn't be looking at, or that romance novel you know you shouldn't be reading, you might need help with that. And at first, it's going to be like, oh, wait, I shouldn't look at that. That's a good first step. And then you're going to move a little farther away from it, right? You're going to say, man, I really wish they wouldn't put that there. Then you're going to step a little bit further away from it and say, oh, that just disgusts me, right? Over time and through self discipline. You can be free from whatever bondage that you're living in. Okay? So we've talked about the definition of Christian freedom. We've discussed that you have to train for Christian freedom. And lastly, what does Christian freedom look like? So that was one of those things midweek, thinking to myself, what in the world does Christian freedom look like? God, I want an answer. What does Christian freedom look like? To make this message applicable to all of you, I need to tell you what Christian freedom looks like. He gave me the answer. Don't worry. So this is what Christian freedom looks like. This is what Christian freedom looks like. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Christian freedom looks like a basket of fruit. It's good. You might like some more than others, right? But Christian freedom looks like a basket of fruit. If we are free in Christ, then our lives are filled with the fruit of the Spirit. God the Father created us, God the Son redeemed us, and God the Holy Spirit guides us in serving and reaching others. When our desires become aligned with the Holy Spirit, our lives are filled with the fruit of the Spirit. We minimize our faults and we maximize our fruits. Okay? We maximize or minimize our faults and maximize our fruits. So, with freedom, our lives are filled with love. It is the first one on the list as it is the most important. With freedom, our lives are filled with joy. We convey love to others, right? But joy is something that lights up our own lives. Lights it up. Right? It lights up our own lives. With freedom, our lives are filled with peace, equality, and calmness in our inner spirit. 
With freedom, our lives are filled with patience. There are two kinds of patience. The one we call perseverance, and the second is called being even-tempered. But both of these develop throughout our lives through the leading of the Holy Spirit. With freedom, our lives are filled with kindness. Kindness is that practical side of love, right? Kindness is that practical side of love, and we express our love in countless ways, large and small, but most of those interactions are those small acts of kindness. What do we remember most? Those small things that people do for us? Those are the things that mean the most. Those small acts of kindness. With freedom, our lives are filled with goodness. Goodness here is our moral sense of direction. And we become morally sound in our walk as we walk with the Holy Spirit. With freedom, our lives are filled with faith or faithfulness. Our character is trustworthy because the one that we trust in is trustworthy. With freedom, our lives are filled with gentleness. The Bible frequently commands us to be strong of spirit, yet warm and friendly when we deal with others. And then here's that word again. With freedom, our lives are filled with self-control. This comes at the end of this list because self-control is like the knot on the end of a necklace that keeps all the pearls from slipping off, right? So, what does your basket of fruit look like? You're not the bad apple, are you? What does your basket of fruit look like? Our last verse, verse 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. Right? So, are you enjoying the freedom, Christian freedom that comes? Or does some aspect of your flesh have you in bondage, right? It's one or the other, right? So whatever is holding you in bondage, this last verse, verse 24, is for you, right? Because once we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we take those sinful desires, those lustful passions that we have, and we have to nail them to the cross, right? We have to nail those to the cross, we will face trials. We will face tests, right? But we cannot live our lives in sin. So we have the ability to sin, yes. But just like that example, we want to get further and further and further away from that sin because that is not what God wants us to be. When we believe in Christ and we accept Jesus as our Savior... Sin has power over us no more. No more. Christ doesn't fix our past. We want a Savior that fixes it. Christ doesn't fix our past. Whatever bondage that is, He doesn't fix it. He frees us from it. He frees us from it to live a life of Christian freedom. Let's stand.